Hello, Annie Trenders. Welcome to the Girl Taku, hosted by the ladies of Anime Trending. We are back with another fun topic on the table. My name is Gracie, and I am joined by. Hello, my name is Isabel, and. This is Agnes. So, without further ado, the Girl Taku today will be about another trope dissection, in this case, the oblivious protagonist. We had done a trope dissection episode uh, before, which we uh, go into an analysis of the damsel in distress trope and give examples of. Uh, of anime characters that embody the trope in a good way that works for the story and in bad ways that do not work for the story. Because just like every trope in the writing, in the entire writing world, uh, there are good ways to utilize it and there are bad ways to utilize it. Having a particular trope doesn't automatically mean it's a bad story per se. So the trope today, Oblivious Protagonist, I would like to say is kind of unique to anime because I don't personally think the oblivious protagonist is as uh, is as prevalent in regards to, especially in the West, in regards to novels and shows and movies. Do you two agree with me on this, or would you say that it's more widespread? I think I pretty much agree with you. When growing up and watching cartoons, they don't really have that, or maybe maybe portrayed as animals or characters, but it'll just be more of like a one-on-one type situation. Or if they're interacting with their surroundings. It's not so much between other characters or other people. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. Because I I just wanted to see if you guys uh, had like sort of the same feels towards it as I did. But it sounds like you guys do. So basically when we talk about Oblivious Protagonists, as Isabel has pointed out, we're talking about protagonists who are extraordinarily oblivious to the relationships around them. In anime case, it usually takes the form of of either a girl or a guy or multiple people liking the protagonist and the protagonist for some reason having no clue whatsoever, even though those uh, those people chasing them romantically has basically shown every single thing possible in the flirting book, and they it just does not click for them. And so, uh, and so today we're going to sort of dissect that and provide examples of ones where we think it just completely derails the story, or maybe not completely derails the story, but definitely like does not do the story any service to have this sort of oblivious protagonist as well as examples of you know the uh, as well as examples of where it actually does work out and it actually elevates the story so uh so with that being said Isabel I'm going to go ahead and hand the baton to you for you to start first uh can you give us an example of an oblivious protagonist that you don't think works for the story and does it a great disservice and can you think of one that does do it a good service for the actual anime yeah so the the ones I could only come up for this topic was really just harems and the um First one that definitely came to mind as, as a bad one and one that frustrates me is uh, Nisekoi. That one really, like the protagonist there, Raku, he's just so oblivious to everyone that's around him. And I guess the story also just plays around the fact that there's this childhood friend that gave him a necklace or a locket and he's hoping that it's one girl, but he's kind of married to another girl because or at least he's supposed to marry another girl for the relationship between their families, but then there's another girl at school, and all these girls actually are interested in him. But he's only interested in one girl, and he doesn't realize that when he's interacting with the other girls, that they all like him too. He kind of just treats them as a friend, 
and it just kind of has awkward interactions with each and every one of them. And it's a lot of like miscommunication and also a lot of teasing because all of a sudden this uh, one of the girls has has a possibility of having the locket like maybe he was or she was the childhood friend and for some reason Raku just conveniently cannot remember who it was that he spent <laughs> that summer with of course so and wh- what, what what would the story even be if he actually remembers right, <laughs> right. if you remember then yes it would be done in about one episode he found the girl okay we're good but ending credits roll <laughs> <laughs> I remember Nisekoi. I wasn't one of the... I, I remember when it was huge. And I was definitely not one of the ones who was big into it. I think that was... It was also coming out around the time where I was slowly getting out of anime hiatus because of the fact that I basically did not have time whatsoever in high school to really engage in currently airing anime anymore. I didn't find that time until I went back into college. And so so I remembered it being a big thing. I see it everywhere within the anime circles and the anime communities and people talking about it, freaking out about it. And I was kind of and I was aware of the story. I basically read the synopsis because I still keep myself up to date in regards to animes that I might not have seen, but I know is very popular. And so uh, what like it seems like a lot of people were frustrated with the protagonist, but a lot of people still really love the anime, despite that fact. Did you would you ha- happen to take a guess as to why, even though they all agree that he was really frustrating? Right. I think you can probably agree on most shows like these where the main character is surrounded by so many other characters the main character starts to not really have a personality or they're kind of empty compared to everyone else. Or at least um, in Harem's least, the girls will be more act, uh, I guess, more attractive in their characters. And so that's why you're frustrated with the main character, but you like all the side characters. You like their designs or how they interact. And I think that's why people still love the show. And I think at that time, it was kind of a new concept I want to say there's never I I personally haven't seen anime where you know a guy and a girl are set up to be in marriage because their families are gangs right so that was an interesting concept so I think the concept was interesting and new and that's what people were interested in watching it and um and at least the characters do I feel like the girls are pretty cute so I I would definitely um probably watch it for those reasons definitely back in the day mm-hmm Mm-hmm. And what do you think about storylines like this as a whole? Because I, I think you're accurate in the fact that harem animes really, really like to utilize the oblivious protagonist. And I, it really is the only trick they have to keep the story going, especially harem animes that are only focused on romance because, you know, there's no other plots happening around them. It's 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 literally just a question of who's going to get the girl. And so... That is a very utilized plot for manga, for anime as a whole, and it follows a specific formula with the oblivious protagonist right at the center. Like, what do you like? Considering the fact that an entire um, that an entire group a of like subgenres even because harm within harms yes there's variety as well but it's like specific like a particular subgenre of harm which is like romantic comedy harms are built around this particular trope which we all seem to agree is really frustrating like why like what do you think about them creating the subgenre around it <laughs> that I'm, I'm not too sure the sub i guess it's kind of building on uh, 
the genre itself, maybe? Mm -hmm. I can't really say. Would you be okay if, like, if the idea of an oblivious protagonist being uh, sort of keeping this romantic comedy uh, harm subgenre just, like, gets wiped out? Would you be okay with that fact? <laughs> I might be okay with that. I don't wow. know what it would look like, but I might be okay with that sometimes. Because sometimes they just, you know, it's it's okay in the beginning, mm-hmm. right? It's kind of interesting. And then when the, a protagonist keeps uh, forgetting or just not realizing things that should be obvious, it becomes frustrating. So at that point, the show just starts going downhill for me. So if the protagonist does have some hint or maybe it starts leaning towards a character, but maybe leans towards another character... I think that's more interesting to me, or at least being in tune with the other characters and how they're feeling and learning more about that. But if they stay the same throughout, I think that's where it kind of becomes boring for the character. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, this is uh, this is a very classic example of a of one that you think is a bad example in regards to how the story utilizes it. And I agree. It's, I think it's absolutely frustrating. So out of, so now tell me, you know, like, which one do you actually think is a good example of the usage of the oblivious protagonist? Yeah, the good example I have is uh, how, Saikono or How to Raise a Boring Girlfriend. I think that show okay. does, a better, does a better representation of the oblivious protagonist. Can you tell us why and maybe give a rundown of exactly how they utilize it? <laughs> Yeah, of course. So uh, for the show, for people who haven't watched it, Saikono, uh, How to Raise a Boring Girlfriend, surrounds um, a character. Um, the guy's name is Tomoya, and he's really interested. In, he's a, he's um, an avid gamer, and he's into manga and stuff like that. But he really wants to create a game that's like a visual novel. And it's based on this one encounter that he had with a girl. And he, he doesn't know who the girl is, but surprise, surprise, the girl is at his school. And he meets her, and her name's Megumi, and she is a boring girlfriend, basically, is what it is. <laughs> and I think it really works because she's also kind of a new concept, because usually other shows might have a more animated character mm-hmm. or an animated girl as a, as a, as the uh, love interest. Um, but in this case, Megumi's actually really boring. Actually, she she doesn't have any talents. So when Tomoya's bringing all these characters together to help him with his um, with, with creating that visual novel. He brings mm-hmm. together um, Utaha, who's a visual, uh, who writes uh, literature. He brings in Eriri, who's an artist, right? And these are people who have talents and they're able to make the game. And he brings them together because he knows that they're interested in this, but he doesn't realize that the reason why they want to be a part of this game is because they're interested in him. Mm-hmm. And... So he's oblivious to that. He thinks that everyone is very excited to create this visual novel <laughs> about this dream that he had or just this one special encounter. And it kind of pays the way for Megumi as a protagonist as well because she's she's kind of out of the shots or like really kind of um, out of the anime in general sometimes. She's mm-hmm. kind of ignored because the other two characters are very uh, very exciting, I want to say, or... They they're very chatty with each other. They they're um, it's more interesting to see them fight with each other and fight over Tomoya sometimes to get his attention. So um, so it's interesting that he chooses Megumi over them and how she Megumi actually does not have any talents, but she uh, she's actually there most of the time. So the only talent or at least he she's the one who pushes him to keep going on with this, and so he's able to kind of 
drag them all in and drag music musicians in for his game as well. So I think that's that show works better because they kind of have a goal. And Tomoya might not know, but they're able to kind of work together towards that goal. So sometimes they're busy with work, but sometimes they're kind of um, also in that love triangle or kind of rom-com type situation too. Okay, so I, I think I'm starting to understand because I, I haven't watched the show. And so um, even though I've definitely heard of it and I've seen plenty of posters for it. And so from my understanding, it sounds like because of the fact that they are, aside from just like the girls liking him and him being unaware of it, they are genuinely working together on a project that they very much enjoy and like. And so because of that fact, it's it's not as annoying because it's not the only thing that exists in the story. Is that correct? Right, that's correct. It kind of has the elements of like, you know, how people create visual novels as well. It, it doesn't focus so much on it, but it does have that as well. And then also the girls didn't really know each other either. So it's kind of interesting for for them to become friends over this project. It's kind of like a, you know, high school side project that you might have and a group of friends kind of coming together. Yeah. Depending, I mean, their interests might vary, but they are coming together to finish a project, um, which I found was very interesting. Yeah, okay. I totally see that now. It definitely sounds a lot less annoying, I think. I think overall just having more than just which girl is going to get the guy or vice versa tends to make it a little better. But I can definitely see also see the appeal of watching like a visual novel being made because, you know, that's very relevant amongst, you know, anime fans as a whole, because most anime fans are gamers, as we have discovered in our last Twitter space in which I'm the odd one out. So, (laughs) 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 all right. Well, thank you, Isabel, for these two. Um, Agnes, what about you? I know you have been researching and taking notes for this particular trope, so I'm really curious to hear, you know, what you've picked I, I i'm sorry that it was like really last minute too because i did it within the last half hour but um <laughs> i want to also hop onto that train with what isabel was saying about characters having goals and the ones that i chose where the characters have like an oblivious streak but then they end up changing it so that it works towards their goal really helps augment the story together and does not focus so much on the romance so a really good example of that would be also emma from promised neverland because she's entirely oblivious of norman's love for oh her i didn't adoration. think about that yeah but, but inadvertently it sounds a little bit sickening when i say this but inadvertently she manipulates him and Ray into, well, no, mostly Norman, into taking his love and adoration for her and trying to help the kids escape Gracefield. Yeah, so basically he's whipped. <laughs> in the, he in the is, shortest term he possible. is very whipped. I, so, I mean, like, that the, scene where Ray was like, you know this is pretty illogical. Norman's like, yeah, but I love her. And Norman's like, uh, <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> Ray's like, I hate this. But yeah, so that's like a, a really good example of how, like, the good obliviousness, in the sense that it's a character with good intentions as well, takes advantage of the fact that they don't really know about the romance, but they want to further their goal into helping the community that they're a part of. Uh, which, because if you think about it, if Norman had never loved Emma and had never agreed to her crazy plan, the kids would have never escaped Gracefield. Every event from Promise Neverland, I'm not talking about the the second season of the anime, but just the first season of the anime and the manga, nothing would have happened if Norman hadn't said yes. Because Emma has brains and she has brawn, but she doesn't have the um, 
She doesn't have the the brains to manipulate someone. She doesn't have the brains to put together a logistical plan for it. So that's that's what I'm saying is like how it helps funnel other people's goals into moving towards like a better future. And then another like good example I would point out that's not so much about a community goal, but individual goals would also be like Chisa and Elias from Ancient Magus Bride because they're absurdly oblivious to each other's inclinations and strong romantic ties. Like Elias is like super possessive and rather destructive. And Chisa is also very impulsive as well. And the fact that they have to like come together within both the anime and the manga to like constantly discuss with each other how they want to do things and move forward with their relationship really, I guess, brings up um, their story into a better light rather than keep them down into like, wow, it's a drama fest kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I see, I see. Yeah. Otherwise, like the obliviousness can turn into like something that becomes either super toxic or super annoying to watch. Well, okay, that's interesting because I think most people would agree that the obliviousness is very, very annoying to say the least. But what about it is toxic? Like, did you have one inside your head in regards to that? So the toxic one actually bounces off from our previous discussion about the our previous trope dissection of the damsel in distress, in which if the character is so oblivious and so unaware of other people's like love or perception of you, it eventually becomes it starts to spread and be- and creates uh, other people to become self destructive as well. So in the case of the damsel in distress, I mentioned in the last podcast about Aaron being a damsel in distress. He does not care about what other people think. He's completely oblivious to the logistics of how plans work out, the big picture, and also individual individual people's feelings about him. Right. All he just wants to do is like, I'm going to tear down the wall. You killed my mother or whatever. So he's so and, like, yeah, and he does that. like, I mean, I read the manga, so I know what happens later. But up until that point, at the very least, like he he obviously does care about Armin and Mikasa and he knows they care about him. But in a way, he doesn't fully understand how much he means to them so yeah i see what you're saying yeah and it's to the point where like at first when i was watching attack on titan at least like between seasons one through three i did like mikasa at one point as a character because you know cool badass female character right mm-hmm. but at the end of the day with all abs. she just talks about <laughs> with abs right but all she just spouts every single line in the, the show it's not something like heroic like what historia says it's not something very uh sharp like what levi says it's just Aaron, Aaron, Aaron. And in a way, it just brings down a lot of the character development or growth within certain people who are associated with the damsel in distress. So as a result, it just becomes very like, not toxic. I, I, I want to rectify that. Maybe not toxic, but more of like unhealthy. So you kind of watch this destruction uh, train go down and be like, man, I'm glad I'm not in that hole. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Okay, that's really interesting, though, because uh, and oh, you you rectify it and you say that it's no longer toxic, but in a way, like with your explanation, I can actually see how it is toxic because uh, Mikasa, Mikasa, she, she so she doesn't openly flirt in the way that the Nisekoi girls do it. You know, like she's not so right. blatantly obvious where you're just like, how in the world do you not know? But at the same time, it is obvious enough for literally everyone around them to know except for him. So it's clear that whoever knows her is like, yeah, she likes him. But the fact that he's known her for so long that doesn't seem aware of it is 
it's toxic because he'll do things that kind of have a romantic undertone. Not that he's purposefully doing it, but no matter what, it does kind of have a romantic undertone. And it sort of, like, keeps her reeling along with him. Like, I can see how that is a type of toxicity of being oblivious. And really, like, it's not intentionally malicious at all, but it is still very hurtful. And it keeps sort of, it sort of keeps the other person on the line and never sort of letting it go. Oh, so yeah. Right. And it it paints Mikasa more of, like, a a self-sacrificing heroine to do whatever Eren wants him her him for her to do Mm. or she'll do anything for Eren uh, especially in season three when Eren gets kidnapped for the um, for the titan blood yeah Mm -hmm. yeah she she was she was going kind of ballistic at that point and Levi had to basically calm her down when they kidnapped Eren from the carriage and I was thinking to myself like at that point it's scary to say the least because now Mikasa becomes a very unpredictable character to go and save her love interest um, I would have pre- maybe preferred it if, like, there was a scene where maybe, like, it was Jean or it was any of the other characters who confronted Mikasa and was like, are you sure this is the right thing to do? Like, they all love and cherish Eren or, like, admire him to some degree, but at one point, pointing out somebody's flaws is also equally important as well, especially in the oblivious relationship. And so that harkens back to Promise Neverland, where... Ray questions Norman's love for her and desire to help her towards this goal, but then they realize that there's a better good out of it. And the same thing goes for, like, Chise and Elias, where they acknowledge, like, you know, we're both very oblivious to how we feel. Let's talk about it. Let's sit down and work this out so that, you know, we're not running off and being super destructive. Oh, see, you answered my question, because I was about to say, huh, like, <laughs> when I think about it, I'm like, in a way, like, isn't that what Emma was doing with Norman? And once again, completely unintentional in a non-malicious way. And so, but then you, I guess you answered it with the fact that, like, Ray, uh, with Ray, like, pointing it out. And on top of that, actually sitting down being like, okay, actually, though, but if we follow what she wants, there is a a net overall benefit still so it's not particularly wrong but okay so so here's my other question then if Mm -hmm. emma's dream of escaping gracefield with all the kids was genuinely unrealistic and norman was still trying to force a way to make it happen would 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 Emma have been demoted to sort of like the toxicity oblivious protagonist status in that case? Or would she still be better because she has other skills? Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think it, it she wouldn't really fall into the same pitfall as Erin because she does develop. She is on the same level as Norman and uh, Ray when it comes to like using her brain. Yeah. And she also has her athletic skill set too. So in a way, she would sort of avoid that pitfall of becoming like the damsel in distress because she can, she is very capable of taking care of herself in the end. She will become the very destructive hero, self-destructive heroine, but she'll know how to take care of herself. Versus Eren, I don't know. He, I don't think he really takes care of himself. He, he usually has to be given an order to do something for him to want to take action. I see. Okay, so basically, you you're like you're basically like, hey, oblivious protagonist. If you wanna, if you wanna be an oblivious protagonist, at least be capable of doing other things and take care of yourself, right? <laughs> yeah, because at one point, it's like if the oblivious protagonist is left by themselves in a very like precarious situation, 
how are they going to help themselves, you know? Especially if the character's, like, always looking for them and things like that. So I have another question for you then, because the ones that you picked are very much not romance-focused and romance-focused anime. I mean, Chisa and Elias are fairly romance-focused. I think it's kind of romance. I don't know. Their yeah, relationship it's, it's is so straddles- special that I can't think of it almost as romance sometimes. Yeah, I, I also agree too. I take it as like a, a partnership almost, and it's a the manga is a is a big it's a big dissection of like open communication between two different parties and trying to convey what you're trying to convey instead of like trying to keep the other one in the dark and then everything all the drama happens and you're like okay. We need to fix this problem. So in a way, it doesn't... There's a great quote in the manga, I think, where they talk about how romance is not necessarily, like, an end goal for a lot of these people, but it's more of, like, a connection and trying to talk things out with one another. So I really like that part about Ancient Max So you're right. It's not really romance, but it sets itself up as a dubious romance? But I would say that it's not the main theme, in my opinion, based on... That's true. Yeah. Yeah, it's not the main theme, for sure. And uh, so I was going to say is oblivious protagonists tend to show up more in anime that where romance is the main theme because, you know, like, the two that uh, Isabel picked are very much romance-focused. The two that I have that I'm going to talk about are also very much romance-focused. And I think overall you tend to see Oblivious protagonists like 10 times to 20 times more in these very, very romance-focused themes. And so in that context then where, you know, where it doesn't, like characters don't have to have their uh, have their capabilities or their crap together. Essentially, like in those sort of circumstances, like are oh uh, like what are your opinions on them? Are you saying like these characters don't have skill sets, but they're thrown into like the oblivious role, or yeah, like they don't? Or it's more like they're in an app, they're in a setting where they don't have to have these skill sets, you know, because because uh, they wake up and it's school life, and they just have to make sure they finish their homework and they don't get in trouble with the teachers, and you know, oh, it's see, see. like stuff like that. Yeah, I want to believe like because now we're talking more about like slice of life stuff, so we're like going back to the comparison between like Nisekoi and Sakano. And the power that I think the char- each of the characters have is agency and choice. So instead of like having like a titan power or having brains like Emma, you're given a choice if you want to continue to pursue the relationship with an oblivious character or you want to choose to align yourself with specific goals that the oblivious character have and build your relationship with them mm-hmm. and the other people around you. So basically, in a way, it still translates to these more slice of life romance that are like no like titans or like demon baby eating demons situations. They should still have their skills and they should still have their ways to like sort of proceed forward, work towards a goal and stuff like that. Right. I mean, if you look at Sakano, each of the girls were recruited into the visual novel for very specific reasons, mm-hmm, right? right? One mm-hmm. person's good at writing literature, the other one's good at visuals, the other one knows how to program, right? Mm-hmm. But you look at Nisekoi, if you think about it, all the girls are useless. Mm, kind of. I mm-hmm. see. Yeah. They only serve... I, I, I'm so sorry for people who like harems. This is why I dislike harems the most, even reverse harems, because nobody serves a purpose in their role. But um, the girls in Nisekoi all don't have a role except they fill a certain stereotype into making the protagonist's heart go doki-doki, and that's it. And then that just becomes boring. It becomes very banal. Well, I mean, I completely agree, and I think that's why all three of us aren't really a big fan of harem 
stories for that reason, but it's insanely popular for a reason. Like, people still really, really like it. Do you think, now I'm just sort of brainstorming, and I really should get to mine, but, like, you know, do you think the (laughs) reason why that the Oblivious protagonist is so popular within, like, the Nisekoi sort of, like, you know, example it's because that you it's because that people are projecting and just wishing that Absolutely. they could live a 100%. life. Absolutely. Like, okay. Why why do you think <laughs> visual okay, agreed, why do you yeah. think visual novels exist? Visual novels exist so that you can self-insert your character into these stories and be fawned over by girls or guys. There's a reason why I, I don't know why I didn't include this, but I probably should have. Emmy as an example of that in the visual novels. He's literally it's a harem. He's pined over by different girls in different routes. And it's just basically a self-insert. After all, he's just so boring in the animes and the visual novels itself. So harems are just basically a subset within the visual novel but realm. Now, but just... now I'm concerned because those, it's like you pointed out, those girls though in these sort of stories are also so ridiculously bland and just checks off boxes, you know, for a particular type. Mm-hmm. There's nothing complex about them or unique. And so doesn't that mean they just want, like, the people who are projecting just want a non-dimensional person as their romantic counterpart? Is, isn't is that, like, what, isn't that what it is? Yeah, just because seems- it's easy. It's easier to think about it that way rather than think about all the complexities of a certain person. Oh. I mean, we're constantly fed into media where... Do you have like the perfect idealized girl, the perfect cinder, the perfect kudere? And there's just like these like few checkpoints that you need to click off before they become your waifu. See, this is like this is why I'm not usually a fan of visual novels, and I and like even with ultimate games, which are made specifically for girls, I'm extraordinarily picky about because they get boring as heck when you start playing them more and more. And so, okay, but you're right; it is easy, and it's easy to imagine and. And in a way, like your own, in a way, the romance is also very easy. You can predict what the problems are and you can predict how you're going to resolve it and stuff like that. Nothing like sort of the real life dating world where a lot of the conflicts happen where, you know, it's it's multifaceted, it's complex and you guys have to talk it out and sometimes have to take right. a few days away from each other to although, figure it out. And so... <laughs> although I will rectify, like, for longer automate, uh, for longer visual novels, especially ones that are, like, much older that need, like, 50, 70 hours worth of gameplay, those ones tend to be... I, fate, in a way, as reluctantly as I say, can be a lot deeper okay. than it wants to be, especially with a lot of the spinoffs and stuff that talks about, like, Sakura, talks about Rin, like, in Fate Zero... And then if you combine that together with the visual novel, you get a, a bigger picture of why they are the way that they are and why that they're potentially attracted to you as the main character. But overall, yeah, these visual novels, the Otome simulation games, they're just it's just easy prey for you to fall in love with someone. Mm, I see. Right. So the moral of the story is everyone just wants love. <laughs> everyone wants love in the easiest way possible because they don't want to think about how complicated it can get. Yeah, I think at the at the very least they want to start out with the type. I think that's why people I would watch these shows, right? I want this type of person, or Mm. like I would play those games because I want this type of guy. So it's good to start there. I won't say (laughs) I will I will bash people for their types and stereotypes because I also have a type and a stereotype, which is a psychotic person. But that's besides the point. Oh gosh, Um, I question you. (laughs) (laughs) It it feeds into it, and that's why it makes it popular, and that's what 
uh, media, anime, and video games thrive off of. Okay, well, very interesting. Um, all right, well, I'm going to move on to mine because I mine, once again, I did pick, uh, you know, more slice of life romance uh, genres again, but in my case, actually, it's funny because Isabel, you picked two guys and... Uh, and Agnes, you picked a guy and a girl, essentially, but my pick are all girls. And so my first pick in one that the oblivious protagonist just no longer worked for me was from an anime called Special A. Do you guys remember that anime? It's pretty oh. old. Oh, I watched oh, yeah, that's a, while a ago. good chunk of it. Yeah, it's a yeah, while same. ago. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Hikari was an oblivious protagonist, even though it was so ridiculously obvious that Kay likes her, and he basically could have painted words, I like you, Hikari, and like across the skies through with an airplane, and she probably still wouldn't get it. And at the beginning, there were some, like, especially at the beginning, there were some really hilarious moments between that. Like, one of my favorite scenes is when, uh, so when he, like, Kay was in, like, a normal class and stuff like that, and he was being super cold to all the girls who were fawning him, but then he kind of, he, like, walks by, and he just teleports to the window, and he's just like, oh, are you here because you need something, stuff like that? He kind of, he's like, oh, no, I'm just passing by. Anyway, I gotta go. And she, like, runs away, and, and like, immediately the atmosphere went from like super warm and fuzzy to like extremely cold and freezing like that was one of my favorite scenes in which like she was very oblivious because he just he's so thirsty for her and he wants her so badly and she just can't tell but it just but when the story continued it just reached a point where I was just like I don't get the point of it anymore because the only thing that the the story is obviously trying to do is not get them together but it's just it's beyond the scope of anything potentially realistic and which I know people will get on me and say like anime is not supposed to be realistic especially a one where the two of them are practically superhumans even though they live in like a normal world and like at a normal school and stuff like that but it really is just emotionally it just gets to the point it's like where like where do you want to go with this like what do you plan to do and I would argue and say that Hikari as like a main character for a shoujo story because Special A is a shoujo manga that the anime adapted from. Like I think her type of obliviousness as a protagonist in shoujo is very, very common. I don't know if it's still common nowadays, but it is common enough for most of the dramas that are made that are based on manga to be like that where it's just like they're just so unaware that there are one guy or sometimes two guys fighting over her even though it was it's probably one of the most obvious thing in the world and it and it just elongates the story you're just sort of like where is this trying to go and what is happening and like why is it and i'm always wondering like why it was so popular too like my my guess is something about the the oblivious girl protagonist is like is like childish and you kind of like want to protect her sort of thing but even that doesn't feel completely right to me so I am really curious on what you guys think of Hikari and sort of the overall shoujo formula a lot of times where the female protagonist is just blatantly unaware of of these two guys or this one guy really really liking her sometimes when I watch it I find it's interesting or at least exciting when the guy does these things for her and she doesn't realize it. But you're right in that as time goes by, she really doesn't notice what's going on. It 
it's, and you're rooting for the guy to like, hello, please notice. Yeah. Um, yeah, it just becomes kind of like, why am I watching the show or why am I reading this manga? I don't know why it interested me. Especially, it was definitely one of the ones that interested me for a while. It might have been because I think I could relate to them in the sense that they were trying. I they were very studious in that school, right, or something like that. Yes, yes, they and were. Yes, <laughs> I think that was like kind of one of the things that made me more interested in watching the show. Yeah, but in terms of the romances, I feel like towards the end probably it was just kind of there, and I'm just hoping for them to get together. But I don't know if they will or not, and that's probably the feelings that I have towards kind of mixed, and then also, uh, also just thinking about what could have happened, and that's what I wish for in other shows. So I try to read other, you know, shoujo manga or watch shoujo anime, looking for shows where they actually do something about it and don't have this ah, ongoing thing, okay, right? I see. Mm-hmm. And then I get stuck in another show that's probably like special is what happens. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Isabel. Oh, I've been trapped again. <laughs> it's like yeah. the, the Akbar uh, Star Wars meet. It's a trap. Isabel oh, just walks right yeah. into it. <laughs> I think, and, and this is part of the ones where I'm like, I think this is once again a little unique to Japanese media that I don't think it's as common per se in Western media, especially with how long both these guys and these girls can go with being oblivious on the fact that these people like them. Why do you think it's so much more elongated in Japanese media? I guess it's a very romanticized version of pining for another character. Okay. So, I don't know. I feel like a lot of Japanese media really likes to harp about like the trope of pining a lot more than Western media. Because with Western media, it's a little bit grittier. It seems like there's a lot more people that's willing to call you out on it or people who will start to question Mm-hmm. A lot of the things that's being done to you. And it's much more obvious. But the pining part in Japanese media tends to be romanticized to the point where it's like, I'll do anything for you kind of thing. And people are just like, oh my god, that's so sweet. And then you're kind of like, oh, wait, but that's kind of dubious. Hmm, Kind of like Twilight, I guess. But they just still got together very quickly. Don't forget that. So <laughs> That is true. That is true. I don't know. Maybe... Uh... That's that's a really good point. I don't know. Maybe it's because people romanticize so much about the long-term pining that they don't mind it lasting for that long because everything else is just too short. People like to feel the angst and the tragedy of the pining. Like, yes! oh my god, this, this character like mm-hmm. dies on me, but I've loved them for so long or whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I can totally see that. I understand that completely. And it's funny because you say, you say that and it reminds me of a video game, which surprise, surprise, I do know about video games, guys. <laughs> Um, but, uh, in, I, in Final Fantasy XV, like, Noctis and Luna, like, those, ah, yes, like, those, yes. that's, that, like, that immediately makes me think of the whole pining thing. They were separate for more than 10 years, and they were always just, like, wanting each other and thinking about each other and caring about each other across distances and stuff like that. And so I know for a fact that Noctis and Luna has a broken base in the West, There are people who really like the two, but then there are also a good chunk of people who really don't like the two. And like, we hardly see them interact. We hardly see them, you know, really talk to each other and like express their feelings and stuff like that. But I also know for a fact that Noctis and Luna are is like completely popular 
in Japan with very, very, very little detractors. Nothing like in the West where it's more of like a 50-50 split. And so, and so that's exactly what it made me think of is like probably, yeah, because Japanese literature and like, like just historical literature and stuff has always had such a huge emphasis on this pining across distance, this angst. And I can totally see how that translates over into the oblivious protagonist and sort of like keeping the relationship at bay because they want that pining to go on just a little longer. So I love that answer. I think it's perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, Final Fantasy 15 has other problems in the West, not because of the pining, but because of the story overall that detracts from the whole pining issue. Mm. So I think that's a, a story mechanic problem rather than like a, a trope dissection overall. Right. And also the two of them were oblivious as a whole. So it's like they're they're not no, actually, no, no. <laughs> they're not actually within this trope they, they, at all. They, they were pretty in tune with each other's feelings for sure. Yeah. At least Luna was. Oh yeah, 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 for sure. Uh, but also like okay, we can't talk about it because I love the bromance so much <laughs> and I, I'm just gonna harp on the bromance. So um <laughs> but anywho, so that's my pick of one that I feel like ultimately ended up doing a disservice to the story uh i did end up reading the manga and thankfully they did get together but even that there was stuff that hikari was oblivious on that i was just like i can't i don't i don't understand (laughs) um but my pick of one that i think did it really well and leaned into it as hard as possible is katarina from um from uh, my next life as a villainess and I think the the reason I know like she annoyed some people, but for me personally, I think it kind of makes sense as to why she's so oblivious, which maybe that was another reason is I just want to have like a why. And for example, uh, Psychono, um, like Isabel, like you mentioned, I could see as someone personally, if I united all these people to be really passionate about a particular project. I can see like me being so focused on this passionate project with these people to to not notice like the other girl's feelings towards me because I think all our focus and all our sort of synergy is coming from this project rather than us personally. And so I think that's the same thing with Katarina and the fact that she because she uh, in my next life as a villainess, she re- she realized she got reincarnated in an ultimate game that she played because she thinks she knows legitimately exactly how everything is supposed to happen and what each of these characters are supposed to be like. It completely blinds her to the fact that it's no longer a game anymore because she's living it as her actual life. And just like in actual life, the smallest variables can change a lot of things. But her mind is just so set on the idea that she is in this game rather than this is like my new life now, like an actual life with an actual world that changes um, she completely, she's just completely oblivious to the fact of, um, to the fact of how much she has already changed everything, and in that sense, how much, like, everyone loves her, and by everyone, I mean literally everyone around her, and so, and so I think that's a good example of one that actually leans into it hard, and I really, really appreciate it, and I do think it's actually funny in that regard, but that is my personal opinion, and I'm wondering how you two feel about her. I would say, like, it really plays it super well. I also quite liked watching it. I thought at first I would get annoyed with Katarina because she's, like, oblivious, and I'm like, oh my god, here's another Kirito. But it turns oh, out that it's oh, actually... Oh, you didn't 
Kiri. Okay, okay, sorry. Go on. <laughs> I, I I held myself back from that because I wanted to make a point with the damsel in distress, but <laughs> I was a little bit worried that she was going to become a Kirito because it's this whole like oblivious character, you know, in a setting where everyone like pines after them or whatever. But it turns out to be funny because overall, my villain is is set up as a parody. So also intrinsically knowing that you don't take the story as seriously and you kind of just appreciate a lot of the variables of like Katarina being thrown into these messes that she totally did not predict versus Kirito is like set in compromising positions that he could predict and not go through with it but you know now he sees uh boobs and underwears and other things mm-hmm. so hmm that, that, that that's a, becomes a bit problematic. <laughs> okay, well, you know what? Now that you mentioned, let's talk about Kiri Tommy. Oh no! <laughs> Wait, I thought <laughs> I thought we were getting okay. Here we go. Why? Wait, why are you so scared to talk about him? Ah, <laughs> uh, because I know that there's a lot of people that really love um, Sora online, so I didn't want to bash it too badly. But I've already sparked a lot of flames on the internet with other things I've talked about. I see. What about you, Isabel? How comfortable do you feel about talking about Kitty? Oh, I'm fine. I've, <laughs> we brought him up on our previous podcast, so we're good. We can talk about SAM okay. one. Why not? Oh, we did? <laughs> Who brought him up? <laughs> Who brought him up? I forgot. Okay, well, you know what? Now that we bring it up, I, I like we have to talk about it because you are absolutely right, and I completely forgot about him somehow, but he is a perfect example of an oblivious protagonist and it's funny because you are right there are a lot of similarities between him and Katarina and that is like the others are so blatantly obviously fighting over them and stuff like that but the two of them don't realize it but um but once again Katarina has your is in an anime that is basically a parody of all the character tropes of ultimate games and like harem and a reverse harm anime or even harem anime as a whole and on top of the fact that they went the extra mile of giving an explanation as to why she's so oblivious because her mind is so set on the idea of everything happening in a certain order and she knows everything and thus like so thus she can't see anything else past that because she thinks she knows everything but with Kirito he doesn't have any of that per se and Kirito still remains quite a popular character why is that? <laughs> uh, it's less now of a self-insert, but more of like, I want to be as cool as Kirito. Personally, that's what I think, at least. But is he cool if he's like so dumb? No, he he's can't not. see that? Okay. <laughs> no, he's not. He, uh, I, I already very disliked him from the ending of like the second half of season one, where they're just like, yeah, he's like this prodigy child player who's like, who was in the beta testing at like 16. And I was like, I remember when I was 16, I didn't do that kind of stuff. So <laughs> I, I don't think it's very realistic overall. I mean, I knew a lot of teenage boys my age, because I hung out with mostly guys, they did not have have like that uh introverted genius prodigy kind of thing that Kirito has and I'm like that's no excuse to have a hair come on guys that's, <laughs> that's no, no excuse, excuse to have a hair <laughs> what about you Isabel what are your thoughts on him <laughs> yeah honestly the harem is just a plus I can only see people you know <laughs> having or just really wanting to be like him this is my like guilty dream of possibly as a gamer I wish I was like Kirito <laughs> gamer yeah that's right (laughs) i think that's what it is i feel like every gamer or at least a teenage boy at that state would definitely be like i want to be like kirito and you know i want to execute these cool moves and defeat cool bosses and you know meet meet all these characters or something like that which is the reason why people like it it doesn't work for me uh i mean at one point you know i did want to be 
maybe when I was younger, but definitely not now. (laughs) (laughs) It's a little bit too unrealistic, and it's Mm kind of like a little bit narcissistic in a way. Okay, so basically how Kirito works as an oblivious protagonist is the fact that he reels you in with his coolness, and then he gives you the added bonus of a harm from what I'm hearing. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, Klein is basically part of that group too, so yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. He's not, like, the romancing type, but he's very, like, man, I want to be as cool as Kirito. Like, he, he, he kind of gives off that vibe in all the seasons. I think he's, like, the only character I like. <laughs> now that I'm, like, thinking about I, I, it. When uh, I... To be completely honest, also the same way. I think I like all of the non-female side characters who are into Kir- who are not into Kirito. Yeah, I mean, granted, I did like, uh, you know, we did talk about this before, but I did, We, I think we all agreed that we did like Asuna, but then she just became the typical damsel in distress character, and then she really got out of the spotlight, we're just like, meh, about it at the end, so. Yeah, the only the only redeeming thing yeah. about Asuna, now that we're talking about her, the only thing, redeeming thing about Asuna is like, when you watch things like Mother Rosario, where she, or where she has like her own standalone plot, yes, and I, think, I remember uh, that. Sort of online progressive is going to give her more roles as well. Mm-hmm. So you you start to appreciate her a little bit more than like, wow, she's Kirito's wife. Who praise be the. Yeah, and it's sad that she kind of got relegated to that role, but I mean, it is exciting to hear that she's going to get more. Um, all right, so uh, final thoughts in regards to the oblivious protagonist. Is it mostly a yay from you guys or a nay from you guys? Like, because uh, in, in Damsel Distress, I think we all came to the agreement that Damsel in Distress as a trope is actually pretty important. And when utilized well, it's utilized extraordinarily well. And when uh, when not utilized well, it's like one of the worst things that you could see and could be very, very insulting. But what about the Oblivious Protagonist? Do you think, is it... Is this along the same levels of damsel in distress, and that you think it's an actually quite an important, uh, quite an important trope to have for stories, or do you think it's overall has more of a bit of a negative effect rather uh, than a positive effect? For me, I think it has more of a negative effect in general. It may work out in the beginning, or at least reel me into the show, mm-hmm. but after that, it 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 actually becomes one of the reasons why I either stop watching the show. Or stop liking the character. Wow, okay. Um, right. I know we didn't mention uh, Gekkan Shoujo Nozaki-kun here. Oh, yes. I, was, I thought about that, too. That was a really good... That's one prime example of where, you know, the show is really good. It's really funny. But I, I'm just frustrated when while watching it, honestly. Mm. It, I just... It's one of the cons that I have. Like, everything else is fine. But because of this obliviousness, I just can't live with it. Wow, all yeah. right. <laughs> that's, a, that's a really great example, yeah. Mm. What about you, Agnes? Uh, I'm also siding on the negative part, just because I feel like it fuels a lot of people's imaginations and doesn't really help paint the story in a good light as well, or doesn't give the characters clear objectives mm-hmm. of things they want to do. I don't know. I, I see all these anime shows now as like, you know, when you're playing in a video game, you have like objectives you need to complete. Right, right. So the whole like, the whole oblivious thing... Ob- Oblivious, if you write it well, it can be used to really augment the story and raise questions about 
people's dynamics and relationships. But a lot of people don't really care for that kind of media. They just want something cheap and quick. So that's why the whole oblivious trope is super popular to oh, reel the masses in. Yes, I completely agree with that. It's funny because we, uh, anime trending by itself, we had like our own discussion in our Discord about this. Like, um, I guess like before, I, I'm in agreement with both of you two. I think like the oblivious protagonist can work out well in the beginning, but it, you better change it up pretty quickly. And even with Katarina, with me saying that is a good example with the second season going essentially going into plot lines where she knows it's no longer the game's plot and it's actually like a future that she cannot predict and she doesn't know if she continues with this sort of like stubborn obliviousness I will actually get annoyed and so so to me I'm like in agreement in the fact that I think it's more negative and if you're going to utilize it you're going to have to get rid of it pretty quickly if you want the story to come along but um right. but I think this this thing that you did point out with uh, Agnes in the regards that it is cheap and it's easy to reel people in for people who aren't looking to think or really explore a story. Is that bad per se? Because, you know, some people are like... It's not bad for the industry. Mm, okay, because it's like... <laughs> it's not bad for the industry. They get money off of right, it. Right, but, like, um, but it's like, is it bad if audience members just want, you know, something, you know, surface level and in a way dumb for them to spend their time on and stuff like that? I used to think it was bad. Uh, I used to criticize, or at least internally in my head, I used to criticize a lot of the anime community for being so shallow. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, you know, you're coming home from a hard day's labor or whatever that you've been doing in life. And you think to yourself, like, you know, I kind of want some cheap romance to get my mind off of things. Or maybe you had like a bad breakup and you, you just, you want something genuine you want something that's like truly pining but you don't want to think about the complexities of things so you end up gravitating towards these kinds of shows and it's just a way to make you feel better and help move you along for the rest of your life so i guess it works for different strokes of people i see i see okay so maybe so maybe like for us in which like we're more like anime critics you know it's sort of like yeah. at this point it is really our job to look at anime objectively and how they use their characters and how they do their plot and decide on whether you know this is a good anime or not but like maybe oblivious protagonist is a useful trope to have on hand for those who understandably just want like a more shallow sort of storyline to spend their time with or to relax to but um for but particularly for like the more um the more deeper or complex stories that we sort of want to see or the more uh the more emotional bonds that we would like to feel it doesn't work as well like you would like that would be a good summation i feel like correct <laughs> yeah that's that's yeah. pretty good mm -hmm. all right then well, thank you all for joining us as we uh, did another trope dissection on the Oblivious Protagonist. Please let us know how you guys feel about this particular trope and, you know, and whether you like it or not. But I hope you guys had a good time and I hope you guys will be here next week. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.